everybody, and welcome to another episode of Inspiring Time with the Menti. I'm your host, of course, Amenti Corey, and today I have a special guest uh, that I am going to read her introduction, and I hope you'll get a lot out of this as well as I do. Um, just knowing Randy for a long time, but reading her bio and seeing some stuff just reminded me how much of an incredible woman she is. So I'd like to go ahead and read uh, Randy McLean, LCSW, which I'm sure you'll all learn what that means later. But Randy is a proud U.S. Navy veteran that spent time in Iraq, Kuwait, and Spain. After being medically separated in 09, Randy went on to earn a BS in criminal justice from SDSU, which is San Diego State University, in 2012. Her master's degree in social work with a concentration in military and veterans programs from USC. After a difficult transition, Randy decided to make a career of serving her fellow veterans and their families. Her passions include serving post 9-11 veterans, specifically those that are justice involved and or those who have difficult transitioning. She is currently a program director for mental health systems and continues to be active in the veteran community and the greater San Diego community as well. Randy serves on the board of directors for the San Diego Veterans Coalition, San Diego Enforcers, and the California Association of Collaborative Courts. Randy is currently assisting with the San Diego Federal Veterans Treatment Court as a mentor, coordinator, and trainer. In her spare time, Randy is on faculty with Justice for Vets and the National Association of Drug Court Professionals, where she teaches veteran treatment courts, DUI courts, and drug courts across the country. Randy also writes a monthly column for Homeland Magazine and San Diego Veterans Magazine focused on mental health. In 2014, Randy was also named the San Diego County Veteran of the Year. Welcome, Randy. How you doing? Wow, that was a mouthful. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Sorry, I didn't realize how busy I was. Yeah, I mean, when I go back and I started reading your bio and stuff, I'm like sitting there going, holy cow. I've known you for, wow, how long have we known each other for more than I was 20 21 years? and I just hit the big 4-0. So I think about 15, 16 years. Yeah, yeah. So um, we've known each other for a long time. And, you know, I just have not realized how busy you've been in that time frame um, that we've known each other. So um, that's super exciting. So why don't we start off with just tell us what the LCSW means after your name? Yeah, that's a licensed clinical social worker. So that just means that I'm licensed um, to do clinical work in the state of California. Okay. And um, that is uh, something that you've been working on for a while because, I mean, you got your social work degree, um, right, um, from that was off of your – but I thought you double majored um, at, uh, at uh, San Diego State University. Is that correct? Yes, I did. So my undergrad, I actually, um, <laughs> when I came out of the military, I, I was uh, hard charging and uh, I decided to get a dual bachelor's. So my um, bachelor's is in uh, criminal justice, which, you know, those goes back to when you and I met way back in the day. And then um, also sociology. So that's my undergrad. And then my master's um, was social work, mi military social work specifically. Okay, cool. Well, let, let's give a little bit of a background um, about because, you know, most people don't realize how we met. I like to share this story because I thought it was it's, it's kind of a cool story where we met um, when I was doing security at Allstate mm -hmm. Arena for a concert. And mm -hmm. um, 
we started just uh, having a conversation and you were telling me about um, your interest in law enforcement and and uh, one thing led to another and I got you an application to be a dispatcher at uh, the North Lake Police Department. Yeah, yeah. I think you're being very generous in that in that statement of it. You, uh, I was an annoying 21 year old and you, you know, were already in law enforcement and I just wanted so bad to get a jump to my career in law enforcement. And um, I probably had more beverages than I should at that time, but it was amazing because when I did call and reach out to you, you were so amazing and so helpful. And so, you know, I mean, I just want to tell you thanks because really, I don't know if I would have, you know, at all started my career. Who knows where I'd be had I not had that that first interaction. So thank you. Well, no, no problem at all. I mean, um, I, you know, I, I was always a firm believer in helping those people that want to reach their goals. Um, even back when I was a police officer, because, you know, I was involved with so many different activities on the job um, to help people grow, whether it be through DARE or, or other um, activities that I was involved in. But, uh, you know, having the opportunity to get someone to get their foot started um, mm -hmm. was great. I mean, you know, I just got you the application and, and gave a reference. But other than that, I mean, you did all the work to be able to get on the job. Um, you did a great job as a dispatcher when I was on the job. So, you know, you kept us safe and aware of everything that was going on. So that's that's important to us that we're, you know, for those of us that were on the job, we're still on the job and on the role of how important a dispatcher is. So um, thank, you. thank you with that. So um, moving on to the next topic, let's talk a little bit about your military background. Um, if you don't mind, um, can you give us a little bit of idea of what happened in 09, um, when you left the Navy, I know that um, you were diagnosed with TBI. For those that don't know what that is, that's traumatic brain injury as well as PTS, uh, post uh, um, traumatic traumatic stress. traumatic <laughs> stress. Sorry, um, with a, with also a little bit of major depression. Can you give us a little background on what happened there? Yeah. So, well, I think it goes back a little further than that. So, I w I was the kid that always. Um, wanted to go into law enforcement ever since I was a little kid. And then when my brother, who's two years older than me, he joined the army and then he transitioned actually into the Navy um, when I was a teenager. And I was like, man, I really want to do that. But I ended up coming to Chicago meeting you. And, and what I did was I started in the reserves. So I actually started in the reserves and then, you know, a little thing called nine 11 happened and I got mobilized for the first time. And then I pretty much spent the next seven years um, on orders for active duty. And in my last deployment, um, I sustained an injury. I actually, at the time, um, was in an up-armored vehicle. And it was actually an accident. It wasn't, you know, I don't have some great war story that I was, you know, hit by, you know, an insurgent or anything. It literally was an accident. It was that um, somebody that was driving the vehicle, I thought they had fully come to a stop. And I went to exit, you know, off the back of a big, big truck, and um, they hit the gas. And so I went flying. And um I sustained quite a few injuries from that. Um, and then I had also um, had a physical assault um, during that same deployment from another service member. Um, and 
due to both of those injuries, I spent about the next year having a couple surgeries and um, mostly focused on the physical, which was um, really my knee. And um, we didn't know it at the time, but I had actually damaged my hip and had some secondary injuries to that as well. So um, I that injury actually happened. Um, both of those injuries were sustained in 2007. And I spent the bulk of 2008 um, kind of really I wouldn't say fighting the Navy, but definitely wanting to keep my job and, and knowing that I still wanted to serve. And um, in early 2009, they came back and they were like, and I was on what's called a med board. And um, that's basically evaluating if you're fit for duty. And mm -hmm. at that time, they came back and they said, well, we've got some choices. You're going to get out and we're going to pay you or you're going to get out. And I was like, um, okay, I guess I'm going to get out and let you pay me. So I got out. Um, I did not retire. So I'm not what's called medically retired. I basically was what's called medically separated because I didn't have the years um, in for a full retirement. But what that did was that kind of transitioned into uh, my VA disability. So I was able to, you know, get services through the VA as well as, Ultimately, they paid for the rest of my degrees. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't get to stay in, but they definitely gave me my education. So I, I think that that's a, a bonus, a, a bright part of the whole thing. So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, that was the one thing that, um, you know, uh, my dad once told me um, being a 20 year veteran in the Army was he was always kept wanting me to go into um, the military because of the fact of all the schooling that you can get from them. I mean, it definitely is an option for you out there. I mean, it's so, it's so weird that, um, you know, back when I was going to, um, you know, undergraduate school, the big push back then was, well, to be on the police department, you had to have a, a you know, a bachelor's degree mm -hmm. um, to be on certain departments, you know, so, you know, it's always been a big push is, is, you know, not trade schools, not military, but, at, you know, going to a four year college, but more people don't r realize that there's so much benefit still being involved in the military, as well as trade schools and other things out there that you don't need to just always go to a four year college to start off the bat, you can easily go into right starting your career yeah. in the military and get the ability to get your bachelor's degree or master's degree or whatever you want to specialize in from the military. Yeah, right? absolutely. I, I mean, I'm a big proponent. Obviously, I have advanced degrees, and I want to go back for, you know, my doctorate. I, I fully believe in education. But I will say that um, I absolutely believe that serving in our military is vital. It's important for this country, but it's important. It gave me um, so much that I didn't have before a level of confidence, um, respect, you know, it, it taught me so many life skills that I'm going to carry the rest of my life. And um, I, even though sadly, it didn't end the way I, I had wanted it to in the military. And I um, really, you know, struggled when I transitioned out for sure. But I don't regret my time in at all. You know, and, and that's a huge thing that I want to just just tip on really quick mm -hmm. is the fact that you know, like you, I had a situation where, you know, I loved my job. I enjoyed my job as a police officer. I felt I was good at being a police officer, but 
due to things outside of my control, I ended up falling out of law enforcement. Now, uh, do I regret that I'm not on the job anymore? At one time I did, but not anymore. I mean, I look at what I've learned from that and I've gained from that to be able to speak up for those other officers or, you know, like right now, um, you know, I'm, I sit on the board, um, a citizen's board for our local police department and just be able to help give feedback or, or hear what's going on um, to be able to relate it back to the city council so that they know what's going on. So, I mean, that's, that's a huge thing to be able to take what we've learned and utilize it now, yeah, right? Ab absolutely. And that's one thing is I try really in my day-to-day -day life, I really try to look at every experience as something to teach me, whether it's a good experience, a bad experience, whatever it is, even people like, you know, I've ran into people that maybe weren't my favorite people to be around, but they taught me something. And so taught me something about myself, taught me something about them. And so I really believe that um, these are all teaching moments that we go through. So I, I want to drop back to 07. Um, I, I remember you once told me about the story, um, but um, back in 07, uh, sexual assault in the military wasn't, was kind of pushed down, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, the, the upper brass didn't want to hear about it, doesn't exist, you know, um, and it happened to you. How can you, how can you, tell a story for those that are going to be listening, especially women that want to be in the military and want to be able to compete against men um, in the military. And when I say compete, I, I'm not talking physically. I'm talking in the point of where being able to get the jobs that men are able to do as well as them, but try to get past that stereotype of what it was back then to compared to what it's like now. Can you give a little bit of a, a background? Yeah, so the first thing I would say is, is just a reminder, and I know you said specifically, cause I, you know, I am female and I recognize that, but sexual assault in the military, outside of the military, but specifically in the military, it is cross gender, it's same gender, it can happen male on male, it can happen female on male, male on female, female on female. So. It isn't, um, you know, I think we hear more about, you know, male on female, but it absolutely can happen in any of those situations. I actually had a situation um, with somebody that I was working with through my actual work at one point, and um, he, uh, the perpetrator, was actually an enlisted person, and the um, person that was assaulted was actually an officer, which is kind of unheard of. You would think that doesn't happen, but there was a power dynamic there, and there was, um, you know, a physical aspect to it that it did. So, so I just say that because it, it definitely can happen in multiple ways in the military. Um, I will tell you, for me personally. I ignored warning signs. I ignored, I let things go, um, jokes, um, things, things. Now, again, there can be times when, you know, a full on assault, a rape happens. But a lot of times what we see is there's a buildup. There's almost like a grooming time where we see 
a period of people getting harassed, women or men getting harassed and just kind of being like, oh, whatever, just suck it up. And specifically, sometimes we see it with women because we think, oh, if I say something, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm not going to be able to promote. I'm going to be blackballed. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually, one of the things I saw when I was deployed and this isn't specific to my situation, but it was with somebody that I was deployed with, we called it scarlet lettering. And what that meant was we knew when a woman, something had happened because they took their weapon away from them because they thought they were a safety, you know, concern. So all of a sudden you see somebody that's had a weapon and now they're all of a sudden they're on the fob, they're on the base and they no longer um, have their weapon. They're in an administrative role. And it just kind of was a flag to others to to know that something was going on. So this one is one more way that it seemed like the victim was some way, you know, almost shameful that something had happened to them. So um, that that definitely happens. I think, though, the military in a lot of ways has grown a lot. I mean, I got out, like I said, in 2009 and that's 11 years. And we work with our bases here in San Diego. And I know that they take it very seriously. Um, They take it very seriously. And it's for the most part, um, it's not tolerated and it's called out. And and that's what needs to happen to have real change is to have people in positions of power, not letting it um, go and not letting it, um, not ignoring it, not sweeping it under the rug. Um, Absolutely. And that, and that's huge. And, and I, and I really want to tell you, I appreciate you sharing that story because there's so many people out there Um, And and again, like you said, you're very correct. Uh, Sexual assault doesn't have to happen just, you know, female to male. Um, It can happen male to male or whatever. And and I agree with you 100 percent. So, you know, it's just to let people be aware of, you know, it's not okay, but it is okay for you to say something. And, you know, with our society, we're growing more and more to be a lot more open about that. And, and I definitely don't want anybody listening to our show today to think, you know, what, um, you're a snitch or, or, you know, I shouldn't say anything. No, it's, it's not right. Right. I mean, there's a difference between right and wrong in our society and any kind of assault on somebody is wrong. Period. Yeah. And there's multiple, I, I, I definitely, I I do also want to say that as a victim, as a, as somebody that, a, a victim should never feel like they have to do this. They have to report. They have to go. I mean, they should. And and like our perpetrators should be brought to justice. But there's many reasons why these things go underreported. And it's not necessarily just because of fear of their career. Um, I can, again, give you an example that is very real to me. Um, I knew uh when my situation happened, I was within weeks of, of redeploying, of coming back to the state side. And I knew I missed my husband so much. And all I wanted to do was get home. And I knew if I launched an investigation at that point, I would be force extended for a period of time, at least during that investigation. And so that wasn't necessarily a bad thing that, you know, the command was sweeping it under the rug. It just was logistically, I would need to stay 
for a period of time. And I just wanted to pretend it didn't happen and get home. And so um, for many reasons, I chose at that point, and I stand by at that point, it was the best decision. Um, I ended up getting support and help down the road. Um, but we should never, I want to be very cautious that anybody that is, you know, has gone through trauma of any type, you handle it how you know best to handle it. And you do what you need to do in the moment. I mean, we talk a lot about fight, flight or freeze. And there's so much guilt around reporting, not reporting, um, going after, you know, the perpetrator not going after them. I mean, I really want to cautious, make sure that people recognize there's no perfect way to handle something like this and you do what you need to do to keep yourself safe and and be able to um get the help you need you know what there we there folks is randy talking as a social worker and a mentee talking as a cop. <laughs> so there's there's a there is the correct answer for you um, and, and please, what she said, listen to what she said. <laughs> okay. But Hey, you, you just brought up something into our next segue, which was perfect about, uh, you know, you were married at one time. Um, you know, tell us a little bit. I mean, you were, you were married how long, you know, when did you meet your husband? I mean, I, I know you guys are still good friends. I mean, I definitely yeah. know that. So give us a little bit. Yeah. So I actually, um, met my husband, uh, my ex-husband now, but, uh, he definitely, I, I joke with him. I talk to him almost daily and he's definitely my, my favorite ex-husband. I mean, he's my only ex-husband, but, um, <laughs> he is an amazing human. Uh, we met, um, when I was 24 and I was stationed down in New Orleans um, and I was um, in 2005, 2004, 2005, it was for Hurricane Katrina. We met and fell in love pretty quickly. Um, I, you know, we had the typical military marriage. I think we were married within six months of uh, meeting each other. So it's kind of expedited, but uh, definitely married for all the right reasons. He um, fellow service member, um, he ended up ending his career with 28 years in. So he had a stellar career. Um, and then military life happened. He deployed, I deployed, he deployed. And we really spent the first couple of years just um, in different countries. And uh, I will always say he was the best Navy wife because when I was deployed, I had the best care <laughs> packages. Uh, I still tell him that he was a great, great, uh, much better Navy wife than I was. Um, but the reality was, is we didn't know how to deal with it. I came home. I was a hot mess. Um, I really had a lot of physical injuries, which, um, you know, I had talked about earlier. And of course, there was the psychological injuries as well. And for me, um, I focused so much on the physical on, you know, learning how to walk after multiple knee surgeries and um, learning how to do all of those things and having the TBI that I really swept a lot of things under the rug. I swept um, like, just like the trauma that happened on the deployment didn't happen. Um, and then there came a time mm -hmm. where if my husband looked at me, I cried. If he didn't look at me, I cried. If he touched me, I cried. If he didn't touch me, I cried. And it just became just, it wasn't, I mean, at one point, 
you know, he told me that like, I hadn't come home, you know, and it was like, and it really hit me because it was true. I, I had felt like I, I lost a part of me when I deployed. Um, and I just wasn't a very good wife. And we had spent a lot of time apart. And we, we just faced adversity very different. He wanted uh, me to get the medical help I needed and and go to the VA or go to, you know, see a doctor. And, and really, I wanted to talk to my husband, even though I didn't know how. So we just approached it very differently. Mm -hmm. And we made an impulse decision. And um, he, um, he decided um, and, and we've talked about it and I, I think he'd be okay with me sharing, but he chose to leave the marriage and, uh, it was really hard because at that same time I was 2009. So I was leaving, um, active duty being told I was basically no longer a sailor. I was no longer fit to be a sailor. And essentially my husband was saying I was no longer fit to be a wife. And that all happened really within a two to three month period of 2009. Um, and I'm out here in California, I don't have any family and, and I had been deployed. So I didn't really have any friends out here either. Um, so yeah, 2009 sucked. <laughs> but but yeah. Um, yeah. fast forward a couple but. of years, and he had a couple more deployments in him. Um, and then he really, uh, he was what we call a, a ship sailor. So he had spent a lot of his deployments, a lot of his Navy career on ships. And so right after we had divorced, he had spent his first uh, deployment in Afghanistan. And I think that gave him a different perspective. Um, and I chose when we got divorced, um, I chose to not badmouth him, to really let it be between us at that point. And I'm so glad I did because we found forgiveness years later. And um, yeah, he's my best friend now and one of my best friends. And um, he's somebody I will always respect and have a lot of love for. So, um, you know, we, we found ways, I mean, cause once he got out of the service again, after 28 years, he had to deal with his own demons from the service. And it, it was nice to, to be able to be there for him for part of that as well. And that's huge. And that's huge because, you know, um, not everybody can do that, right? Um, you know, some people just can't uh, let things go and, and understand it wasn't the best fit or something. But um, the other thing, too, is, you know, we all deal with in, in our careers, and I would say even in my 10 years of being a law enforcement officer and you being in the military and your, your ex-husband being in the military, you know, there's a lot of things that we see in life that, that not everybody sees. And a lot of stuff is baggage that we hold on to. And then we have to figure ways to be mm -hmm. able to deal with that baggage. So, you know, it, it's tough. It's not easy. I mean, you know, people don't realize that, you know, PST, uh, I mean, sorry, mm -hmm. PST, PTS, PTS is common yeah. in police officers yeah. as well. And it's not just, a, it, it's about stuff that we see on a day-to-day -day basis. And, you know, there's still things vivid in my mind that I can remember when I was on the job that today mm -hmm. just, don't go away. Yeah. They're just there of what I saw. So, you know, yeah. but, you know, let's, let's go into how did you, how did you rebound? Okay. Oh, nine, you said it was the worst year of your life, but, but I mean, as we read your bio, <laughs> I mean, you were able to rebound huge. So what walk, walk us through the steps on how did you get yourself 
back into I know one thing for sure. I know that you always tell me that you, you're just a mad woman. You have to work all the time. Um, that, that keeps your mind off of things. But, but tell us about how you were able to rebound. What inspired you from 09 to starting in 2010 to just kick it yeah, into a whole Yeah, that's a year? great question. I actually was recently, I'm not going to get emotional, but um, I had said earlier, you know, I hit the, I hit 40 just a couple of weeks ago. And it's funny because going, not funny, but it's, it's interesting, I should say. I was sitting with my best friend recently. And we were talking about it. And my 29th year going into my 30th birthday, I literally had days where I did not want to live. I did not want to be here. I was, you know, losing my naval career. I was no longer a wife. Um, I really had no education to speak of. And so fast forward, you know, 10 years, as you said, there's my bio. And Here's a couple things that like how I got started. One is keeping those connections. And um, you are, you know, like we said, we've known each other for 16 years is, is let people help you. And so that wasn't easy at first. So to start it off, the first thing I did was I had to find something to occupy my time because literally I was in bed all day. I would not get out of bed. I was that depressed. And um, I had a doctor who told me, you know, get up and walk to the mailbox. Just get up and walk to the mailbox every day, get some sun, come back. Well, I did that because I can follow orders, right? And so I did that. I did that for a little bit. And then <laughs> I enrolled myself in school. And some people would say I was crazy, but I did 24 hour, you know, 24 credits in a semester. And the reason why is I had to do something to take my mind off of everything else. And it was my coping mechanism. Some people turned to alcohol. Some people turned to drugs. I turned to being the busiest person I could possibly be because that would mean that I didn't have to face my demons and I didn't have to deal with it. So then that worked for a little bit. You know, it, it puts a Band-Aid on it. And then I got to a place you know, they say fake it till you make it. I got to a place where I wasn't good, but I wasn't crying every single time I, you know, walked out the door. And so I went to my local VA and I know people say that, you know, VA good, bad and different. San Diego has one of the best in the country, if not the best in the country. And I forced myself to go to the VA. And I made a commitment with my doctor. I didn't want to take pharmaceutical meds. I didn't want to take drugs. I didn't want to be on drugs for the rest of my life. And, and I, there's nothing against those, but I, it wasn't for me. That's not what I wanted to do. Well, that first day I sat down with the doctor, he was asking me like, what did I do today? And I started crying. Like, so I realized at that point, okay, maybe I do need something more than just, you know, just talking to a doctor. So I did go on antidepressants for about six months, but there was an agreement between me and my doctor that said, hey, I will take these to get to a place where I can receive treatment, meaning that my mind was stable enough that I could receive talk therapy and, and it would be conducive to me. Um, so I decided to do that for six months and I started going to treatment. And it was BS treatment. I'll just say it. I BS my way through treatment for the first six months. And I just told them what they wanted to hear. And but the meds really did get me to a point where I could 
eh, at least pay attention and not cry every day. So anyways, fast forward a little bit. Um, it was my last day of sessions at the VA. And the, the social worker, actually, funny enough, a social worker I was talking to, she said something like, just as I was walking out the door, and whatever it was, and I honestly don't remember what it was, it triggered something in me. And for the first time in six months, I just let it all go. And I just started sobbing and telling her what was going on. And um, she enrolled me in the women's clinic. And I went to my first round of treatment. And I did uh, about 12 weeks of what's called CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and really started addressing those, those things. Um, and it was a parallel process, getting out, making new friends, going to school. Uh, but I, I had to do the work. I had to do the treatment. Um, and then I went to San Diego State. And of course, you know, because I already had the background in, in law enforcement and then also law enforcement in the military, I got that degree in criminal justice. And again, just kept myself so busy. Um, but it was a parallel process with uh, treatment. And the thing is, is I still go to treatment. I don't do it as often, but I every six months I check in with my doctor and I really, you know, see where I'm at. Um, I know the warning signs now because it's um, something you had said earlier about PTSD and PTS is that, you know, you remember things from the days on law enforcement. PTSD never goes away. We just learn how to deal with it. It's not something like, you know, you have a rash on your arm, you get some cream and it goes away and you never see it again. PTSD is always there. It's within you. It's just how do we deal with it? How do we find healthy coping mechanisms? So I had to do that and find what worked for me. You know, and, 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 you know, it's funny that you bring that up. Well, it's not funny, but the point of, you know, people wonder why so many uh, Mm -hmm. police officers are alcoholics, right? What did we always do after a shift of uh, three to 11 shift? The first place we went to was the bar. Right. Because we didn't want to we didn't want to we didn't want to bring that home to our spouses where some guys would beat their wives or get in a fight with their girlfriends. You know, they wanted to have a mechanism to release what they just got done seeing or dealing with. Um, you know, it, it it's no different than the adrenaline dump. You know, when we when we've gone on high speed chases and, you know, the, people wonder, well, why are these police officers, you know, not stopping or 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 getting overzealous because that adrenaline is pumping up. And that's why it relies on mm-hmm. a support from other people to keep yeah. us in the right direction, right? I mean, just like you're talking about, you know, the women's, you know, clinic and, and being through those mm-hmm. programs is, is the support of others. And, and you know, regardless if you think that you've been healed from it, there's still times like, you, like you're doing now as occasionally you go back, you know, just to, just to be able to, to have that reminder that, you know, hey, you know, I did go through this, this wasn't my imagination, you know, um, yeah. how to deal with it in those ways. And, and, and I'll tell you what, um, I'm, I, I now I look back, and I'm blessed that I'm no longer a police officer, um, just because of the fact that, you know, I look back at my last couple of years on the job, mm-hmm. and I don't like what I saw. Um, I don't like the way I was turning into I didn't like the fact of of the drinking and, and the stuff like that. And it definitely was not. Um, yeah, when you're just around that kind yeah. of stuff, you need you need that support. And, and that is huge. And it's great that you're not just 
were you involved into going through that? But now you're yeah, back yeah. And so back I think that, it's right? interesting to say, you know, as we're talking about law enforcement, I'm still very active with, you know, our our law enforcement here in San Diego. And I think the big key, the big shift for both military law enforcement and to be really anybody, anybody that experiences stuff through life, learning how to cope with it, having friends, having um, outlets, healthy outlets, because that's why I like working um, with justice involved so much, much, meaning our veterans treatment courts, because I truly believe that that could have been me. I just happened to do not illegal coping mechanisms, but they still were coping mechanisms. They were still unhealthy, working myself into the ground, not sleeping, doing whatever I could to cope. It still was a coping mechanism. And, you know, I just happened to not choose drugs and alcohol. Um, but it, it's very important to find those ways to, you know, cope with things. And also, as you said, you know, having those support systems, I know a year ago, I went through some struggles at, at my employment, um, of, of a position that I thought, you know, was going to be mine and it wasn't. And, um, I got to reach out to a couple amazing support systems. I don't, I really highly encourage people when you think about your support system, go outside your bubble. They shouldn't all be in your profession. They shouldn't all think the way you do like have diversity in your, I have at least five people that I would consider mentors all different walks of life, all different ages. Um, I have a judge in New York who's, you know, pushing 75, I think now. And, you know, I have a marketing person up in Sacramento who she's in marketing and she's in her 50s uh, to one of my closest friends is, you know, just fresh into her 30s and and doing something in, in the legal field. So all over the place, but really getting and having support systems that, give you positive feedback and not only positive feedback, but they'll call you on your stuff too. And they'll know you and see when you start having issues and can, can help support you in that. Yeah, that's, and that's huge. And, and that is great that you brought that out for people to start thinking outside of the box. Um, I'm fortunate like you, I mean, I have quite a few people outside the box um, that, you know, I, I like to be able to talk to, um, whether it be, you know, men or women, because mm -hmm. I always like different perspectives from everybody um, that I can. And I mean, I, I am a little bit stronger in my faith, though I, I do do a lot of praying and I do mm -hmm. believe um, in, in faith and miracles. So yeah. that that's done a lot for me as well. So, um, you know, I have I have a, quite a few different outlets that I use. But um, you know, let's going on the fact that you're still involved in, in law enforcement. Let's talk a little bit about yes. what you love <laughs> and which is football, right? Here we are. Our, our, here I am talking to an Arkansas Razorback fan. Uh, I'm a Florida Gator. I'm a Florida Gator. But, you know, you took you took that love of football and got involved with the San Diego enforcers. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. How, so how I love them. I'm actually, it. if you could see me right now, I'm wearing my shirt, my San Diego enforcer shirt. But, um, so back to 2010, you know, I, I was going back to school and the funny enough is one of my girlfriends who was studying criminal justice with me, she was like, Hey, do you want to like come over to my house? And I'm having, my family is just having this little barbecue. Would you like to join me? 
And I was like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Well, we went, I went over there and, you know, they were all her like sisters and aunts and stuff were all like in the kitchen. And I saw her stepdad was in the living room watching football. And I, I'm sorry, I grew up in the South football was life. So I went in there and I'm like screaming at the TV too. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so amazing. And I think he was taken back because he was like, wow, this girl actually not just is watching it because she has to, but she actually understands it. And so he was like, wait, you like football? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, like, and he's like, well, what about coming out? You know, I, I'm a coach on this team. What do you think about coming out? And, you know, just helping at practice or something. And I was like, I, and again, remember, I'm trying to get myself out of the house. That's all I'm doing is being depressed at home. And uh, I did. I went to my first practice and he was the um, right. D-line coach. He was a defensive coordinator. And he um, he was let me, you know, hang out at practice, you know, help throw around the ball a little bit, like, you know, do stuff. And then I started doing stats for the team. So in 2010 was my first season. And I started doing the D line stats for them. And I did that for about uh, four years. And then they were like, well, you know, what do you think about coming on the board and just helping, um, you know, plan the games, doing more at the games, things like that. And I was like, sure, like, I'll, I'll do whatever you guys want me to do. And so I joined the board um, into the actually 2014. Um, and I've been on the board ever since. Um, now I currently don't call me team mom, because that's definitely not what <laughs> but sometimes I feel like it I do all of the communications, all the paperwork, all of the administrative stuff for the team. I also, you know, book the fields, um, coordinate with all of our opponents, um, really handle all the registration for the team, um, all the marketing, things like that. I do a lot of the media relations. So I work very closely with our charities and promote it. Um, and we have our military charity, which I've told you about before is Honor Flight San Diego, which flies our World War II vets back to DC um, mm-hmm. annually. So with the enforcers, basically the three tenants is family, football and charity. And so it's really a family event. All the players bring out their kids, their wives, things. Um, and it is about, you know, obviously winning games. We're the two time national champions. And then we're also about charity. And it's very important to us to give back to our charities of choice. And um, we have multiple charities we've given back to over the years. Um, but one of my favorites, obviously, is is Honor Flight. And one of the big things we do and we're gearing up for right now is once a year, we do what's called our salute to service game. And that's a non-league game because it's against active duty Marines here at Camp Pendleton. And we play against them. The guys play against them. It's full contact football and all proceeds go to our charity um, honor flight. And that game is amazing. We've had flyovers um, from, you know, the Marine Corps last year, we had the Marine Corps band did halftime show. Um, it's really a production. It's it's not some, you know, park league flag, flag football. It's it's really a, a huge um, event. And it's all tied to and a part of the National Public Safety Football League. So that's NPFSL. 
is the league that we belong to. But again, it's all, it's law enforcement. You have to be a sworn law, law enforcement officer um, or a firefighter to play or active duty um, with an MOS that's in law, law enforcement or firefighting. So, um, but it's absolutely so much fun to be out there. And it's right, typically it's right after our season. So college football, and then right now we're <laughs> gearing up for our enforcer season. Well, the positive. Oh, and there we go downhill, Mr. Listen, you know, I'm a gator hater. Calm down. (laughs) Sorry. I just had to share that. Oh, I know you are, but that's okay. You know, but that's okay. Because it's always fun when when they play each other and we get to go back and forth with each other. So, well, we're going to move on to some other questions here. Um, So I want to talk to you a little bit about um, what is one thing that your program or programs, one of your programs, you can choose which one you want, um, did for one of your clients that you didn't expect? What was something that you did not expect that was yeah, a positive and, and not, thing uh, from that's a great question. I'm actually, it's a positive that came out of it, but it's going to start with a negative and I'm going to throw myself under the bus a little bit. Uh, but one of the clients, one of my first clients early on um, was a Vietnam veteran and he came to our program and he just really, if you can imagine having every need He really just had a laundry list of, you know, he was housing insecure. So he was basically couch surfing. He didn't have food. Um, He didn't have any steady income. He was estranged from his family. There was just, just intense, intense amount of things that was going on with him. And again, he was, it was when I was fairly newer to social work. So I started working with him and I was so excited because we were about four months in and he had, we got him into stable housing. We got him into the VA. We got him services. We did all of these great things. And we were just so excited at his progress. Right. And there still felt like there was something underlying. He was a tap. He was um, connected to services at the VA and he was receiving them, but there still felt like something wasn't, wasn't quite right. And so, um, as I'm talking to him, he comes into the office one day and he's early. So we put him in like kind of a conference room area. And one of my staff came out and they were talking to me and we were building out these new assessments in our computer system, you know, to do um, different screeners for our clients. And she wasn't talking about a specific client, but she was asking about one of those Mm -hmm. screeners in the computer. And she said, you know, I have this client coming in, you know, what, which ones am I supposed to do? And I said, Oh, you know, she's, you know, post nine and 11, make sure you do the MST screener. Right. And um, I was like, okay. And go on about my business. Well, I realized when I went into the conference room to get this client that he, he had this questioning look on his face and I said, Hey, come on into my office. Let's talk. So we go in there and He's like, what is that MST thing? So I tell him what it is. And he's like, can guys get it too? Almost as though it was like a disease, right? And I was like, "Um, well, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. yes, you know, men also, you know, can. And this entire time, 
four months, I had never asked. He's an older male. I assumed all of his trauma had to have been related to Vietnam. This is assumptions of a young clinical person. I never once asked him if the trauma like was related to anything military sexual trauma. It would not have dawned on me. It wouldn't even in the slightest bit that I wouldn't ask a female client that, but I had never even approached it with my male client. So it was a learning moment, a teaching moment for me. But what was unexpected out of that was he got services and he actually turned around and was running a co-facilitating. Now, this is a year down the road, but he was co-facilitating a military um, sexual trauma group for male survivors of sexual trauma a year later. So, yeah. After he got treatment, he had to get treatment. I kind of abbreviated that, but he definitely got treatment. But I mean, it threw, it goes back to what we said about MST earlier. Like, I never would have thought to ask. I mean, now I ask everyone, but you know, this guy had been brutally assaulted and um, I just assumed it was all combat related, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, a valuable lesson learned as well as a, a great outcome, because, you know, if he didn't ask that question, you would not right. have been able to go into that. And therefore, he wouldn't probably want to be where he is today. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's definitely mm-hmm. um, something that turned out to be a positive for sure. Uh, so here's a question with if you had $10 million yeah, yeah. to spend on your business, meaning your programs, right? With no, yeah, red that's, tape, That's a great question. Um, So I think there's a couple things. So one, one of the huge gaps, now I've been in social services almost 10 years. And one of the huge gaps that I see, and not just here in San Diego, I travel a lot training different courts and going to different jurisdictions. What I do not see enough of is culturally competent treatment both SUD, so substance use disorder, so those suffering from um, substance use issues, um, and mental health. And an example of that is, is myself. I use myself as an example. So the VA is amazing. If I break my toe, I'm going straight to the VA. If I, you know, have any kind of physical issue, I by far am going to the VA. I love our VA. But if I was to continue to suffer through mental health, I no longer feel comfortable going to the VA, not because they're not great, but those are my, the, the actual clinicians are my colleagues. There are many of them I may have went to school with, um, or if you're in the waiting room, those are my clients. So I don't feel comfortable necessarily getting mental health treatment at the VA. So what we do is, and the VA is great for this, is we have something called choice. So we can go out into the community and see a provider. What the challenge is, is we do not have culturally competent people and there's uh, out, you know, clinicians that understand the military trauma. It's easy to throw that, that label around and say, oh yeah, we serve our veterans, we help our veterans. But do you truly understand the nuances of serving and of what it, even for our family members, of what it's like to be that person left behind? So if I was, I would do more around providing and having mental health and substance use treatment programs specifically um, provided by those who understand 
in, in the military culture and you know, keep updated on it. In order for me to keep my license, I have to do what's called CEUs, continuing education, right? I think that we need to have continuing education in this cultural component mm -hmm. um, specific to the military. So that would be a little bit. But my second and probably bigger thing is, um, is our justice involved veterans and working with them and our homeless individuals. There's so many of them that get that, don't have the next step. It's so hard with our homeless population to get them off the street. We still have so many veterans that are homeless. So I would definitely um, put money towards that. I think you know this, but I've been working at the convention center here in San Diego. We started with about 1,700 homeless individuals and we have about 1,400 right now. Um, and, and they are just our forgotten population. You know, the only time people think about them is when they see them driving down the side of the road and asking for something. Mm -hmm. um, so I would put a lot of um, I would put money more into that and towards right. helping rehabilitate our justice involved veterans, because we have so many of them. Um, you know, it costs over sixty thousand dollars to incarcerate a vet uh, to incarcerate a person. It's over a hundred thousand dollars to incarcerate a veteran with, you know, because many of them come in with injuries and things like that. But you know, we need to spend more time on helping. You know, these are not lifelong offenders. These are people. I'm talking when I say justice involved veterans. I'm specifically talking about those that, you know, didn't cope with their stuff correctly and and maybe got a DUI or something like that. I really don't believe that their lives should be thrown away. And I think that getting them treatment to address that underlying cause. Um, so those would be kind of uh, definitely veterans courts and, and helping our veterans get their lives restored um, would, would be at the top of my list. And I'm with you 100% on that. Um, that is something that's really strong inside me is about helping uh, veterans, um, homeless veterans, uh, and I do, me personally, mm -hmm. I do believe there's going to be in the future where me and you are going to be working on a project together, um, just because I, I do know that my, my ultimate goal will be in that area um, and where it's going to be at. Don't know yet, but I do know that that is something that I'm seriously uh, thinking about. And mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many things. I'll give you a quick story on something that just blows my mind. Um, in St. Pete, there's a hospital, it's called Edward White Hospital. Um, they closed it. They closed the hospital, right? The building's just sitting there, just sitting there, this huge building. And you know, I keep thinking to myself, why aren't we looking at taking that building and turning it into a homeless shelter yeah. with social benefits for those people, right? You can take the homeless off the street right? You can put them in this, you can have them sign a contract in a sense, right? Hey, we're going to give you a contract where we're going to work with you, let's say between the next three and six months to get you a job, to find you a place yeah. to live, you know, to get you back into society, right? And it, it just amazes me because the, 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 the hospital has rooms, has bathrooms, right? I mean, you could put a whole level downstairs of social work stuff, you know, um, even the point of where you can have bicycles, for them to get to someplace close by because the hospital is pretty close to downtown. 
right? So, I mean, there's, it just amazes me how we have stuff like that building. Yeah, that that's amazing because that's actually what we have what here in San Diego. So, we so, have three hotels that just got transformed into exactly that. We call them depots or, you know, um, one of our sister agencies, PATH, has one as well. But basically, they stay in almost dormitory-style dormitory rooms. But then at the bottom is all the social services. That's where they get um, in treatment and everything else. It's all within one place. Um, it's it's all about reducing the barrier. I would love to work on a project in the future. I think I think it would be great to have the different lenses. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, my next question for you is this. If you can turn back time and talk to your 18 year old self to ease up, like, like, I mean, I, I don't regret anything I've done <laughs> in my life at all. But I just and I think most people, you know, as, as they get older, come into a place where they're, you know, more comfortable in their skin and just more comfortable in general. But I have always been somebody that and and it doesn't, you know, I'm going to psychoanalyze myself, I had amazing parents, I'm not somebody that, that was told I couldn't do things or my parents always lifted me up and told me I could do stuff and that I would be amazing at whatever I did. And, but I think for me, I just had this ingrained in me that I was never that I could always do more. I mean, even back in the days when I knew you, I was still working in the restaurant. I was still dispatching at, at you know, whichever shift I was for the police department. And I was in the Navy Reserve. So I've always been somebody that just I could do more. I could do more. And I think I would just tell myself to enjoy being young a little bit more. And the other thing I think I would tell myself, which I did, I'm blessed that I did this in my life, but I think I would maybe for other young people is grow your network and like keep that network. I, that is what's gotten me so far in my life is like just yesterday morning, I had a, um, I went and had brunch with one of my a friends who was talking to me about my career. She has no investment in my career, but she gave me some of the best advice. And so I really think keeping your network. So those are the two things I would say. One is just pump the brakes and, and, you know, you don't have to achieve it all in, in one day. And, and then the other is like, keep those networks <laughs> strong. Okay. All right. So um, moving on to my next one for you is what is wow. the best compliment you've ever received? Man, that's a good one. Um, let me think on that. Can you ask me the next question why I think on that one? <laughs> oh, sure, 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 sure. I can I can do that. Um, let's go with uh, what is something that. Yeah, seem so to definitely. That's you. a good one. Um I think, and I've definitely been better at it, but coming out of the military, coming out of the, you know, law enforcement, parallel enforcement environment, um, I'm very direct. Um, and yeah, so sometimes that directness can be perceived if you don't know me as maybe, um, not aggressive, but just blunt or, you know, um, not warm. 
I think that's a big misperception because if you get to know me, I'm definitely would do anything and everything for my friends and my family. Um, so I think that's definitely one. And I think also um, that I'm all business and that I'm all work. Um, I just, you know, I enjoy what I do. So it doesn't, even though I'm very busy, um, I, I enjoy 100% of what I do in, in my day to day um, life. So I think sometimes that passion and that drive and that kind of people misperceive that to be that I'm just all focused on work. Um, I, I do have downtime, it just needs to be planned. No. <laughs> um, man, I'm still thinking on that compliment, though, because I've had some some really. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I know I'm going to remember it as soon as we get off. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I, I can tell you this. First of all, you know, um, knowing you, talking to you, listening to you about more. And, and yeah. you know what? A lot of times when me and you get together, we don't talk about work. We just talk about us, family, stuff like that. So we don't really dig into too much work. But, you know, just being able to listen to you talk today, just being able to read your bio and all that other stuff. I mean, hell, you know, being the name the, in 2014, the San Diego County Veteran of the Year, to me, that is a compliment that is so huge for what you have done and what you're still doing. So, I mean, to me, that, mm. that is just unbelievable. And, and I am so proud to call you my friend um, because, you know, it is yeah. always enjoyable for us to be able to just to sit down and, and talk and everything. And, and, I, and I really hope that people get a lot <laughs> out of this interview because this has been one of the most detailed interviews um, that I've done so far. And I mean, I've had quite a good, a uh, couple of good ones between, you know, Helene Wood and Pastor Jason, but, but this one, I, I really hope people really oh, take the opportunity you. to share this as much as possible, because this is a good one. So we're, we, you know, I've already been over, you know, we're at 61 yeah. minutes, um, but I'm going to ask you um, probably one or two more questions and we'll wrap it up. But this is one of my favorite questions I love to ask. So if you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive yeah so funny enough um that actually ties back to your last question because i did um the compliment is going to actually be a part of your side so i'm going to hit both questions at once so i i just thought back to one of the compliments i got in 2015 i was at the national conference for nadcp so national National Association of Drug Court Professionals. And I was surprised with an award at that conference in front of about 5,000 people. Um, I got called up and I was uh, awarded the Hank Porowski Award. And for those that don't know who Hank Porowski is, he is one of the individuals that started our very first veterans treatment court in Buffalo, New York in 2008 under Judge Robert Russell. So Judge Robert Russell is one of my greatest mentors. As y'all heard me say, I have a mentor in New York. Um, he's, you know, 75 plus years old, but he started one of our, he's a civilian. And he started our very first veterans treatment court. We wouldn't have treatment courts the way we do today without this man. But the best compliment was, I'm going to cry saying this, as he handed me the award and he hugged me, one, just getting it from him. And him and Hank were really good friends. I never got to meet Hank because Hank passed before I became involved. 
And he leaned in and he said that Hank would be proud of me. And to know that like the work, because it was basically an award for outstanding um, contribute contribution to veterans treatment court. And to be one of the very first recipients after he passed of that award and to have his best friend be, or his you know really good friend be able to say, Hey, he would be proud of you, you know, if he was here. So that was my compliment. And um, as far as dinner, Judge Russell, obviously would be number, you know, one of them, because I love that man. I see him all the time. And he is just <laughs> an amazing human. Um, I encourage any listeners to look him up. He is just a rock star of a human. Um, the second would be my dad. Unfortunately, when I deployed um, to Iraq, he passed when I was 25. And um, I'm his namesake. I was named after him, share a birthday. I would love to be able to um, have my dad back for um, a dinner. And then I think the third one should be fun. I think I should. I mean, my dad was pretty funny, but um, uh, I think my uncle Ben, I would have my uncle Ben back <laughs> because not just because him and my dad were like best friends and it'd be funny, but so many times I, as I said earlier, I get perceived as this just such, you know, dedicated hard worker and like, I don't have the fun. My uncle Ben would remind me to have the fun in life and just to have fun in every moment. So if I, and I think that they would all love judge Russell. So I think all four of us down for a dinner, I'm down for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to go into my last question for you. So if you had to have a last meal, okay, <laughs> and I know I, 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 I regret asking this question. I really do. And the reason why is because you're such a Southern girl, but, oh, but if you, if you had that's to a good one, um, meal, it would have to have some fried be? okra in there. Um, I would probably have me some cornbread, uh, some homemade cornbread um, and something barbecue. I mean, which is funny because <laughs> every day, like if it, my friends out here joke because I'm like, super healthy. I'm actually making vegan tacos tonight. But um, I, I think everything in moderation, but I am a barbecue girl. And um, I think some nice ribs or some a steak on the grill or some sort of barbecue and definitely okra cornbread. And um, I think I would finish that off. I'm not a super sweet person, but some fresh strawberry strawberry shortcake that my mom would make. That would be it. <laughs> see, see look at that i knew it was going to be southern all the way you know and it's a shame it's a shame that you haven't had an opportunity to come to kansas city yet so that yeah. you know i can bring you to some of these you know kansas city's always been bragging about their barbecue you know but uh you know so well first of all i just want to say thank you thank you for giving me the opportunity to interview you um mm -hmm. this has been an outstanding interview I, I just can't tell you how much i'm proud of you for your success, for everything that you've done. Um, it, it's just, it's an inspiration. And, and this is this is the reason why we do these podcasts um, that I, I started was because I want people to be inspired by what they hear from other people. And your story is truly inspiring um, to not just women, but to men, to everybody that, you know, you can go through ups and downs, but if you put hard work into it and focus on getting help and support from others, <laughs> that you can be inspired to be anywhere you want to be. And I know you're not done. 
I mean, you got so much more that you're going to give. Um, so I just want to say thank you for that. Um, thank yeah. you for sharing your emotions with us. Um, so, you know, that, yeah, that is I, well, I just want to say um, thank so you. I mean, do you have anything to say before to I give you? my I mean, shout outs? Like to I everyone have. listening, like you can do anything. Don't, don't let any injury trauma or just any other person tell you, you can't do something. So absolutely. And you, you can do anything you want to do and that you desire to do. And to you, Amenti, like, I, you know, I said, I, you're one of my few friends that I've known literally my entire adult life. So, um, you know, I don't know where it, had you not taken a chance on a, you know, a 21 year old <laughs> kid that, you know, just really wanted to be a police officer. Like, you know, I, I don't know where my life, you know, we make choices every day, but I am glad that we've been able to maintain that friendship over the years. And I'm so glad when you do come to San Diego, or hopefully I make it to Kansas, I can see your beautiful family again. So I just thank you so much. Well, thanks, Andy. I really appreciate that. So as always, whenever I add uh, the podcast or Facebook Live, uh, we give out a few shout outs. So first of all, we give a huge shout out to all our public safety officers out there, police, firemen, paramedics and dispatchers as well, um, to all our military people out there. A uh, huge shout out to those that have already served our veterans. We greatly appreciate it. To those that are serving right now, we, we are truly blessed that you've volunteered mm -hmm. to do this. Um, and also to all our Vietnam veterans, welcome home. Um, so with that being said, uh, we thank you for this episode with uh, Inspiring Times with the Menti. 